Hey listeners, Dennis here. On this episode, you'll hear from Aaron Lowe, the Senior Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs for the Auto Care Association. The Auto Care Association is the voice of over 500,000 businesses, and they represent about $380 billion in the auto care industry. And they are the ones that are the proponents of question one. Also, stay tuned. At the very end of this episode, I want to introduce to you a new segment on the show called Starter Class. Starter Class is where my guests will get to share a little bit of their insight on some of the best tips and practices on doing business in this COVID life. Now, let's get into the episode. We previously heard from Connor Units from the Coalition for Safe and Secure Data. According to him, there is nothing the mechanics need at this moment that isn't already available to them under the current right to repair law. The needs of the telematics data is still something that is in the best interest of the automakers. Why? Because the automakers have your best interest at heart by providing you new products, services, and experiences. On this episode, we hear from Aaron Lowe from the Auto Care Association. They are the proponents of question one. He asks a legitimate question to the opponents of question one. And it's a question that we all want to be participants of the answer. I guess, why have you not looked at other options for how your data, how the, the data on their vehicles is managed. Why are they not looking ahead at how their vehicles are going to be working in the environment, the transportation environment in the future, and, and what's in the best interest of, the, of their customers? At the heart of question one is the available access to telematics data. Telematics data is generated by particular systems in the vehicle, such as collision notification, emergency assistance, roadside assistance, vehicle diagnostics, media streaming, and geofencing, to name a few. All the data generated by those systems, which in effect have been generated by you, is the fundamental issue at stake. I contend that most drivers do not care so much for the access for this type of data yet. So I asked Aaron... Is it simply too soon to be fighting for this data? Well, too soon, I don't think so, because we're already seeing by 2022, I think IHS market predicts that about 90% of new cars will have connected technology. And so this technology is moving really fast on on vehicles. And so time really is of the essence for for our industry. I don't think that... um, the industry, anybody was in any place to discuss telematics back in 2012. I think the technology was fairly new. Um, we were just starting to see it appear on certain cars. So people, it, it wasn't ripe to, to be able to address the issue. So, you know, it's not too soon. It's definitely, this is the time we have to address it. We can't wait much longer. We, um, we attempted to negotiate with, the leg- with really the car companies for the last couple of years. We've tried to bring them to the table. 
knowing that it would be much better if we could address it before we get to, um, you know, before legislation or a ballot question, which would cost a lot of money, take a lot of resources, and create a lot of, of bad, uh, you know, a difficult time. But the manufacturers simply either weren't in a position to, to talk to us or didn't want to. I don't want to characterize where they were, but we just couldn't get there. We couldn't, we really couldn't get them to the table. We are moving to a more technologically driven society that uses data to drive decisions. The ownership of data is currently in muddied waters. What often gets proposed as a way to settle the ownership debate is to create an agnostic independent body that maintains the standard of providing safe and secure access to this data. I think the standards are looking to be true to make sure what their role, to be true to their role, and that is to protect the data and to protect the integrity of that data. And so they will view um, as this, as certificate authority, making sure the right people have the right access to the data. And when there is a problem, they have the ability to, to, to find out who, where the problem is and to make sure it doesn't happen again. The consumer is looking out for their best interest in making sure that they are doing business with the people they want to do business with, just as they do now. But they have the opportunity to make those decisions. They have the information to make those decisions. Car companies play a role, and we certainly think they will play a role in, in, the, in the final, but they should not be the only group making the decision for the car owner. They should be part of, of the entire infrastructure making those decisions. It would be indisputable to suggest that all stakeholders of your data do not want to be part of the decision-making process. After all, all these stakeholders want to benefit from your data and they also want to make sure that you benefit from your data. So how do you sift through the details in order to make the executive decision of your data? The devil is in the details. And to understand the details, we must go back to the start. In this case, Aaron Lowe was one key individual who helped to get the right to repair law passed in Massachusetts in 2012. Here, he shares the impetus of the right to repair law. Yeah, the original right to repair law said that whatever software, repair information, uh, tools that you make available to the uh, new car dealer, you should be available to the internet repair shops at a fair and reasonable price. And then it also said that in 2018, you had to have all of your tools or software applications available from the cloud. So you, instead of having hardware that you could sell, you would sell to independent shops. All that, all of that would be in the cloud that you could just download onto a laptop and perform the repairs on the vehicle. But that was just basically repair information and diagnostic software. It doesn't, it did not include telematics or data sent from the vehicle out to the car company. It just really involved um, the, the off-board repair systems. There's also a model where this is already happening in the, um, in the repair industry uh, for vehicles. Back in 2006, the California uh, legislature passed a bill that required that uh, locksmiths and independent repair entities should have access to key codes. So, you know, you have a key, a key fob, 
if you lose your key or if you do repairs to a car, you have to then re-initialize the key codes on the car for security purposes because what's that, on your key has a code that matches a code on the onboard on the onboard computer. And if the codes don't have a handshake, you can't start your car. So if you lose your key, it's a big problem if you can't reinitialize the key and, and, and the codes on the on the vehicle. There's an independent entity that says when you have a, a key you need a key code, that locks has a, what's called an LSID license number. It goes to the um, to get the key code. And so that was put together and was done independently and it's worked very well. Um, now even dealers in a lot of cases are using this new process. That's a very different dynamic that's going on now is when you go into a car a repair shop, he plugs in the onboard diagnostic scan tool, downloads the data directly from the car for free, reads it and decides what's wrong with the car based on his offboard, you know, the, the diagnostic tools he has in the shop. Um, but we go into a dynamic where now the car is the gate for the, the car company becomes the full gatekeeper for that vehicle. And, and that's you know, what we're very concerned about. I, you know, when you buy a car, you shouldn't have to license the repair codes from that car so that now the car company is telling you that they, since they now own your vehicle, you're just licensing it. That's going to be a repair, a car owning experience that most people are not going to really like. When you buy a car, you should be able to get it repaired where you want. You should own it. You shouldn't have to just license it. Licensing data or even paying royalties to the owners of the data is a topic often brought up as a way to uncover new business models. The framework to organize this licensing and royalty system is backed by blockchain technology. Since telematics data is still so new and many people do not understand blockchain, that doesn't stop several entities that are quick to pitch a solution to obtain your data and provide safe and secure access to it. Some of these entities include the Auto Care Association, another one, the Mobility Open Blockchain Initiative, and even state and local agencies are vying for your data through the Mobility Data Specifications Framework. With so many entities competing for your data, does this not create conflicts on who is managing your data and how they are protecting it for you? Aaron shares a case study on this. Well, it, it really does work. So we, in Las Vegas last year, we did a demonstration with cars that ran off uh, IS system, intelligent transport system in, in Las Vegas, which was built, thankfully, um, for, for CES. But, you know, the, the transportation system in Las Vegas allowed us to use it. And the data was transmitted using this ITS system um, and from the vehicle so that it could be used vehicle to vehicle and vehicle infrastructure, but also that same data was transmitted um, to be allowed for an independent repair shop to use that data. So the certificate system and that, that, will, that will have to be used between vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure, that same certificate system could be used for vehicle to uh, independent shop. So the, the certificates decide what access you get to the vehicle data, what, you know, and who gets it. Everybody actually, it benefits everybody involved because you're protecting security, you're protecting competition. There's, there's a lot of benefits to society because vehicle to vehicle and vehicle infrastructure provides a lot of safety benefits and um, 
transportation benefits to the public, but competition for repair jobs. So I, I, I kind of disagree. I think everybody can, there, there isn't really that conflict. The conflict only occurs when the car company has the data in their silo and isn't allowing it to be accessed independently of them. And then they're in the way between allowing data to be used in the way that can be, can be you know, that, that the owner of the vehicle wants and then what's benefiting the public. More from Aaron after this. For me, the fact that I'm doing it on my own is mostly to show myself and to like show other people like you can do it. And it's not just the living part of it too, but it's the building aspect of it. And I think a lot of women would like to be more adventurous and travel and maybe not think that they can do it without a man to help them or to keep them safe. Listeners, Thanksgiving weekend, we are going to be featuring hashtag van lifers. Van life, it's a new cultural phenomenon that has really picked up a lot of steam over the last decade or so. I will be featuring a few van lifers on Wisco Weekly and in the particular miniseries Upward Social Mobility. These van lifers have chosen a particular path in life, and it's certainly one to admire, to study, and to just be a fly in their van. Okay, you want to see them? All right, let's see them. So this one, mm-hmm. this one is wild bergamot, and then there's a honeybee right there. Yeah, I love it. My brother's a tattoo artist. I have three brothers, and he's the oldest one that's a tattoo artist, so. And that's all of the tattoos <laughs> that you have, and your brother's a tattoo artist? Are you trying to be responsible at 26? <laughs> yes, sort of. So if you want to hear more about van life, be sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow Wisco Weekly on social media. Now, let's get back to Aaron. What's at stake on the Massachusetts ballot is for the automotive ecosystem comprised of automakers, auto parts stores, independent mechanics, performance shops, and the like, to gain access to telematics data from us, the generators of that data. The Auto Care Association believes that in order to create the best customer experience, then access to telematics data should be democratized to the entire automotive ecosystem. The access to this data benefits consumers because more innovative products and services will be developed to compete for our business. And with more competition, this inherently creates more entrepreneurial activities. Before we put the cart before the horse, the most immediate benefits of the telematics data befalls upon independent mechanics. Independent mechanics faced a host of their own problems, one of which is proper training on the electronics and electrical systems of a vehicle. Will independent mechanics be able to sufficiently act upon this telematics data? So let's talk about, there's two different issues that we're talking about here. The, the first issue is the telematics issue is how information is, is delivered, how the data is delivered. Instead of being delivered through the, the onboard diagnostic device, it's delivered wirelessly. Um, and so 
that's one issue. And, and no matter what happens, technicians, independents, and dealers are going to have to get the data to be able to repair the car. The issue of the training, um, I kind of disagree. I, I do think that, you know, there is a lot more depends on getting the right information because these cars are incredibly complex. But I, I think that we're seeing more and more shops become much more adept um, in trying to understand the technology. And when there are problems, you really need to understand how this technology is put together. And I think that a lot of shops are, you know, looking to bring in people that are, that are adept at um, understanding electronics and computers. Um, I think there's a demand. I think this industry could bring in both dealers and independents to bring in more uh, people that are trained in the right fields to be able to repair today's cars. So I, I totally agree that we need to we need to really um, train our our technicians, both dealer and independent, and get the right and recruit the right people into the industry because there's huge opportunity for the right people in our industry to really get great careers. And we have to, to maybe sell it better for the people to understand why it's such a great industry to get involved in and why there's so many exciting things happening in technology. And to be part of that and to be repairing cars is going to be critical. But I don't, I, I don't like the fact where I hear people say, well, we shouldn't give telematics because we don't have trained technicians. Well, I mean, this is, telematics is about um, how the data is delivered how the data is, how cars are repaired, no matter how that technology, that data is delivered is a critical factor for everybody. And I don't make the distinction between, you know, a car company and, a, and an independent um, author, you know, a shop. I think everybody has the same issues and we all need to be working together on that issue to get the right people and to make sure our technicians are properly trained on these new technologies because quite frankly, everybody's gonna have a big problem if we don't, we don't get the right you know, people in there. And, and we all should be working together on that. While the fundamental question of who owns the data will be debated for years to come, another question arises that doesn't often get debated. And that is, at what point does the data intersect with the proprietary technology of the automakers? If the raw data of a vehicle like tire pressure complements the location data of the vehicle, and if together the raw and location data create a proprietary algorithm for an advanced driving assistance system, or ADAS, then isn't the data inherently part of the proprietary algorithm? No, actually, I, I think you know, car car companies should be building vehicles that are um, have security by design in the vehicle. I mean, car hackers can get into a uh, car company data, you know, whether one way or the other. So I, I truly believe that the manufacturers should be building various, you know, building cyber secure vehicles and they should be doing it by design, not saying let's lock it down so nobody can get into it because guess what? People get into, you know, somebody who's not supposed to is going to get into it. So really what we're talking about is the car company building the system, building a firewall around the system, and then having that data come through a platform, you know, where the data is protected, that the vehicle itself, those critical systems are protected, but the data is available through that gateway to those that have the proper credentials to get it. 
we need to move to a system that has standardized access. When we first did onboard diagnostic, when that was first coming on board, they were looking at proprietary onboard diagnostic systems. Congress and California came out and said, no, we need to make sure that OVD access is, is standardized and we have a standardized plug and that's benefited everybody. Well, now that we're going to wireless access, we need a standardized access to that wireless data. The car company should build their vehicle, build a firewall around it, and then allow access to the data through, through, the, through the platform, um, protecting their vehicles, but also allowing that data to flow in a cyber-secure way. Everybody benefits. I mean, look at what's going to happen in the future. You're going to build a vehicle communication, vehicle to infrastructure communications. They all require cybersecurity to protect those vehicles. Let's do it in a standardized way so that the data, you know, you only have to do it once and you're not building a different gateway for, for every single use. Cars are not going to be independent silos. They're going to be part of an entire infrastructure, uh, transportation infrastructure. We should be planning and building for that, not building cars in the silos where the car company holds the data by them to themselves because we don't want anybody else getting into it because that's not going to work. That that just allows, you know, it, 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 it's not going to protect anybody from getting into a vehicle. And it's certainly not going to help provide more innovation. We talked about jobs. I mean, think about the amount of jobs that would be available if we have more innovation that people can, can build um, ideas to better service cars. Allowing things to occur in, in the aftermarket or in the independent industry is to benefit jobs as well. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Wisco Weekly. I hope you enjoyed hearing the proponents of question one on the Massachusetts ballot. And of course, if you're digging the show, please do rate and review Wisco Weekly. Subscribe to get more content with regards to how your movement is being affected, especially in this COVID world. And stay tuned for some bonus content to hear a little bit more personal things going on with Mr. Aaron Lowe. We'll see you next time. Let's continue along those lines. You know, between legislative negotiations versus, let's say, business negotiations, what, what do you find to be the biggest difference or what are some similarities between those particular areas? Yeah, you know, well, first of all, we we represent thousands of, of, of businesses in the independent aftermarket, and when they view the legislative process, they get it gets they get sort of backed up by it. But in reality, what we tell people is it's not that different. You know, you're still trying to to move and, and to get an agreement to get whether it's an agreement to sell something or an agreement to pass legislation. You have to get the elements in place to make that sale or that passage happen. And so it isn't really that different. It's just sort of a different type of, um, of, of business, of transaction that occurs. But, you know, people look at the legislative process and, and I think one of the other differences is it takes a while. You can't expect that you're gonna get start legis a legislative process and expect it to get done in a week or two weeks. It can take months. I've been involved in this that have taken years to come to fruition. So you have to have a, a lot of staying power and you have to be willing to 
to uh, compromise and to, 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 to be flexible in your direction because you may start one direction and find out you hit a brick wall and you have to go a different direction and, and continuing to, to hit your head against the wall isn't the most productive way to get things done. So you really have to analyze as you along, how do I get around this barrier to get what I want to get done? And so I, I don't think it's really that different than the business climate, um, but it is, but people do get very different, do not feel as comfortable crossing over. And I'm sure I would feel if I were going into the business world, I would have a, sort of a, uh, the same trepidation, but definitely I work with a lot of business executives. We, our members are very active in our association and trying to, um, to get things done. And, and really I depend on our members to help explain to me how what I'm doing is gonna impact that, their bottom line. So I'm constantly trying to make sure that what we're doing is going to be a benefit or help them you know, improve their business, help them de better develop the services for their customers and, and the consumers. You know, the hardest thing to do is to make sure that you bring as many stakeholders you know, try to make sure everybody is at the table that needs to get done. And, you know, when, when we first, uh, we first started this, we, we had a group of people that were working with us. And I think I wish I had been able to bring more people involved to be involved in the effort to build the final agreement on right to repair back in 2012. We had to, you know, we had to work really fast. We had a, a very short deadline when we finally got an agreement with the manufacturers. It was, um, it was a very difficult, uh, it really came, it came about after weeks and weeks of negotiations. And then you work, you know, you go on and on trying to get negotiations and then you get to the deadline and you have only hours or maybe a day to finally come to a final agreement. And sometimes you have to make decisions that you know, that may not be as popular with everybody. So, you know, I wish we could have brought everybody at the last minute, bring everybody more involved. I wish we had done that a little bit more.